0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more.
1: Broken records, the albums you wouldn't shut up about. Broken records, the music our guests can't live without. Like Judy, Barbara, Liza, Bette, Betty, Audra, Bernadette. Bernadette. We broadcast this podcast with hopes that someday we might get... Welcome to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World.
0: I'm Ben Rimmelauer, and I'm here with my lovely co host, Daniel Nolan. Hey, y'all. Today's guest is the star of the classic stage company's upcoming revival of Assassins, four time Tony nominee Judy Kuhn. We'll be chatting with Judy live from Broadway Con in front of a live audience.
1: I hope they're a good one. Oh, I'm sure
0: they will be. It's Judy Kuhn.
1: She is kind of Broadway's secret weapon. Mm -hmm. Since her 1985 Broadway debut in The Mystery of Edwin Drood as understudy to both Betty Buckley and Patti Cohenauer. she's been that elusive soprano who belts.
0: Uh, 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 Excuse me. She is a belter who sings soprano. Fair. She's been doing
1: it all. I mean, not only is she a Tony-nominated Kazette who also made an acclaimed Fontaine, mm. she's gotten more Tony-, Tony nominations for roles originated by Barbara Cook. Like she loves me? And Elaine Page. Yes. I mean, how's that for versatility? And she can really act. Her fourth and most recent Tony nomination for Fun Home uh. recognized
0: a depth and subtlety rarely seen in musical theater. Oh, so true. Today, Judy is coming in to talk about Joni Mitchell's Blue, which is one of my favorite albums of all time.
1: Oh my god! So wait. thats the one with. Um,
0: uh, Last time I saw Richard. Last time I saw Richard is the final track on that album. And River, River, A Case of You, Case of You, um, My Old My Old Man, All I Want, California, California. Um, I would say my favorite, my favorite Joni song and. Probably my favorite song of all time is A Case of You.
2: You're in my blood like holy wine. It tastes so bitter and so sweet. Oh, I drink a case of you, darling, and I would still be on my feet. Oh, I would still.
0: Of course, I love this version she puts on the album, but it's just like both sides now. Hearing her sing it as like a young Mm. Sprite and then hearing her sing it on her um, standards album, Both Sides Now, with a full orchestra is so different. And that's the version I heard first. Interesting. I've never heard that version. I remember I have such a visceral memory of hearing that song for the first time because I was um, a senior in high school. And it coincided with my coming out. so Piece of You? Yeah. So I can remember l- driving in my silver PT Cruiser to high school my senior year. And I had, my mom had bought me the uh, Joni Mitchell Standards album, Both Sides Now, because we had seen Emma Thompson listening to it on Love Actually, that movie, because there's oh, a yeah. whole arc about her and, you know, Alan Rickman, and she thinks it's jewelry, but it's a CD, and she loves Joni Mitchell so i was listening to that album a lot and i can remember hearing a case of you come on my car speakers on the way to school and those lines just like hit me like a ton of bricks you know you're in my blood like holy wine you taste so bitter you taste so sweet i could drink a case of you and still be on my feet
2: oh you are in my blood like holy wine and you taste so bitter you taste so sweet.
0: I could drink a case of you. I could drink a
1: case of you, darling. Still, I'd be on my feet. I'd still be on my feet.
0: And that hit me so hard because I was like, you know, struggling with my whole coming out process and like I was lying to my parents about this boy I was seeing, but I was also like so happy and in love with him and so it was like you know that, So it was about him. Yeah, that's how I, I I was I was um that song really spoke to how I was feeling about the entire relationship and the entire, you know, drama surrounding it all. So that was like my gateway, Joni Mitchell. And then I of course got into Blue and Court and Spark and, you know, all the other ones. But as, as has been said before wise beyond her years mm-hmm. River is also another fabulous track
2: I wish I had a river so long I would teach my feet to
0: That's one of her like most famous songs. Yes, isn't it? and it's been covered a lot, especially on Christmas albums, because it's you know it's coming on Christmas. They're cutting down trees, putting up reindeer, singing songs of joy and peace. So it's you know kind of Christmas adjacent.
1: "River" and "A Case of You" were both on Betty Buckley's. Third album mm. with one look, mm. and so those are the versions I knew first of those, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I really think of them like as Betty Buckley songs. Yeah,
0: I the like, first version
1: I, like... I heard of "Last Time I Saw Richard" was Patty Lepore's version, yeah. but I still don't think of it as a Patty Lepore no, song. No, 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 yeah. no
0: one does. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love when Betty sings those songs. Yeah, um, and and Judy obviously too. And I once
1: um, was interviewing Michelle Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, And she was getting ready to do her 54 Below show, where Mm -hmm. she was singing A Case of You. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, you know, uh, what's the lyric? Um, uh, You drew drew a map. On
0: the back of a cartoon coaster in the blue TV screen light, I drew a map of Canada. Yeah, wait, what comes right before that? Just before our love got lost, he said, I'm as constant as the northern star. And I said, constantly in the darkness. Where's that at? If you, you want, want me, I'll, I'll be, be in, in the, the bar. bar. And
1: I remember her telling me this, like, Looney Tunes explanation of that. Like, she was like, you know, it can be a love song. It means, you know, or it means, like, if you want me, I'll be in the bar. <laughs> she was kind of <laughs> like, like, the song is all like, see ya. And I was like, what I Oh, you I don't about? think so. But, um, um, made me appreciate Patty's version of Lesson. Hello. Oh, and Katie Lang does
0: such a great version of oh. The Kids View. You don't like it. I don't like Katie, Katie's version of A Case of You, but I love Katie Lang. just so should it do a different Johnny song that you do like? I'm trying to think. Um, I can't think of one that I, off the top of my head, but I do know I was so excited for her Case of You, and I think she just ma- she just kind of changes it up too much. Okay, so Cup of You, Case of You. <laughs> yeah.
1: Case of You, you like the your casual version more than the original. Yeah, just because
0: hearing it, with that voice is so... I mean, because when you hear it in blue... Because both
1: sides now, don't you prefer the original to the, the orchestral No, one? I
0: prefer the orchestral one, too. Oh, just because... I mean, hearing Joni sing A Case of You in blue, it's so, like, first love, you know, exciting. Like, oh, I could drink A Case of You. Like, the buzz I get from drinking a glass of wine. It's exciting. It's thrilling. It's the first drink of the night. But 17-year-old. 17-year-old but Daniel
1: identified more with, uh, like, yes. you know,
0: 60-year-old... Jim smoking, yeah, three packs <laughs> like... a day. Um, absolutely. That was my, that's my inner truth. And, you know, hearing it sung like that, it's like um, weary and I could drink a case of you and still be on my feet. It's like I put in the work. I, I know how to do this. I know how to make this my lifestyle. And it's sad, but it's, it's very, very touching. You know, however many years ago, Bob Dylan won the, the Nobel Prize mm-hmm. for his lyrics and I feel like Joni especially should win an award like that because she writes lyrics like nobody else. She's lyric driven. That's the mm. end for Joni. It's like she's always had a weird voice, whether it's high and, you know, screechy or deep and smokery and, and sandpapery. It's all about the lyrics and Well, I guess that's why I mean so many humans are drawn to it because the mm-hmm. lyrics are such a
1: um tangible way into the story behind yes. songs and it's why so many theater people and actors, and it makes yes. sense that, that Judy Kuhn would choose this Absolutely. seminal Joni Mitchell album Absolutely. as something that was seminal for her.
0: As Emma Thompson says in Love Actually, Joni Mitchell taught your cold English wife how to
1: feel. Judy Kuhn could kind of be like the musical theater answer to Emma Thompson.
0: Ooh, yeah. Although Emma Thompson Although, has done musical theater. Right. My favorite thing about Judy Kuhn is that mix you know, we talk about mm-hmm. the um, mm. the soprano who belts, blah, blah, blah. I, one of my favorite things she's recorded is on her
1: first album, her Julie Stein album. Mm-hmm. She sings that old Julie Stein pop song from the old days, Time After Time. Mm-hmm. Not the one, you know, not the Cyndi Lauper song. Time After Time. Exactly. And Judy Kuhn's version of that is my favorite. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, so mellow and rich. And she just keeps giving you, like time after time you'll hear me say that I and the way her voice just like bubbles out those yes. notes it's that it's like the ultimate mix. It's almost like in the vibrato
0: she it's like she keeps churning up the earth mm. into the sky yes. Sense. yes honey yes the sky if the sky is her is uh, her soprano head voice and the earth is like a chest belt voice that mix baby that is just churning, baby. churning 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 churning
1: Um, I mean, that whole album is so amazing. And, Mm -hmm. like, I think about, um, uh, but I, and I do feel like, you know, there's a lot of people that, like, quote, unquote, are sopranos who can belt. Sure. But first of all, she's a legitimate, actually soprano. Like, Mm -hmm. when you say Mm -hmm. she sings soprano, I don't just mean she's got a head voice. I mean, Mm -hmm. she loves me. She's hitting that B-flat Barbara Cook style. Cosette at the end of Heartful of Love. Those are freaking above-the-staff, legitimate, operatic-style Soprano notes, totally.
3: you know.
1: But on top of that, she's a true belter. I mean, when she sings, you know, um, Nobody's Side in chess, like we saw her do Mm -hmm, in Provincetown, mm -hmm. um, she goes into that uh, that chess voice that's so shouty. I mean, Mm -hmm, it's really, mm -hmm. like... While she is a full and maybe the best mix in history or it's mm-hmm. up there with Streisand or whoever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she also knows how to belt with no mix. I mean, it yes. might be supported and it might be placed correctly, yeah. but it yeah. is not placed in a way that's holding back. Right, right. She knows
0: how to get the job done. Yes, she does. Um, did you did you see her in Fun Home? I think like that's your Jen's J show. I did, and I wish I would have seen it twice because I remember when I saw Fun Home, I I don't know, it was one of those nights where I just don't remember it at all. You know, it's like I completely blacked out. I don't remember a thing. <laughs> okay. It wasn't until I was watching the blood off my hands. Yeah. No, but I wish I would have seen it again because I, um, you know, I, I listened to the cast recording now and I'm like, wait, what was this? What was happening? What was going on? So um, I think they are doing a movie. Is that correct? They just... Oh, Jake, I didn't know that. I think Jake Gyllenhaal Oh, just, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. ...announced, I guess he'll play the dad.
1: Well, honestly, I mean, I'm sure they'll get like Meryl Streep or somebody, but it's mm-hmm. too bad because actually like... I know, in a weird universe, like, I guess the good thing about getting older is, like, they might, like, try to star fuck all the young people, mm-hmm, but, like, mm-hmm. I could see Jake being like, oh, you gotta have Judy Kuhn.
0: <laughs> or Ellen Green." <laughs> <laughs> Ellen know Can <Green>. you imagine? <laughs> Just don't fuck Ellen Green. How would she sing Days and Days? It'd be like, uh, uh... Days <laughs> and... <laughs> do it. I, I mean... It's like she has that crazy, like, uh... uh I'd rather hear her I do ring of keys. <laughs> yeah,
1: she's got her own version of a mix. Mm-hmm. Um um, I mean, I just, like, to me, like, Judy Kuhn, like, I mean, you're not, like, really so much of a chess person, huh? I love this
0: sweatshirt, by the way. <laughs> it's it's like a... a rhinestone New York Broadway <laughs> shirt,
1: t-shirt, bought from
0: 44th my Street. My friends
1: <laughs> Maddie and Tom got it for me for my 40th it. birthday. So I'm sure they bought it in a Times Square gift shop on it's the exactly party. exactly what it is, yeah. But that's why I'm going to start having all my parties in Times
0: Square, because then people Hello. can get you at Where would you have, have it, shop. like, Sardi's, or would you have it at, like, um... I've already turned forty. This is in the past. Well, your 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 next birthday. Your next. Oh, beginning. Carnegie Hall. <laughs> um,
1: but uh, but, chess. I was gonna say. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, like it, for me, growing up in like the height of like the pop opera era when those mm-hmm. things were still like current. When like. Sure. You know, Sunset Boulevard was like Angela Dwyer's next musical. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Sunset Boulevard, another show I saw Judy Kuhn in.
0: Because
1: mm. she did it in L.A. Ops Glen Close oh, as Betty wow. Schaefer and she's on the album. Oh, right, yes. Although right. I was really bummed because I was watching her in Sunset Boulevard knowing that it was keeping her from She Loves Me, which I'd seen her do yes. at the Roundabout's former Broadway home that's no longer there in the Criterion Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then when I went back to see it, when it transferred to a commercial run on Broadway, Judy was in sunset, Diane Fred and Tony had done it and that by then Diane Fred and Tony was then the one on the cast album. Mm-hmm. But the good news is there's an amazing YouTube video of Judy doing vanilla ice cream and really good picture and sound quality mm-hmm. and it's as magical as I remember it. Somehow
3: it all reminds me of Dr Terful.
1: was obsessed with her um, on the Chess album because that voice, I mm-hmm. mean it's like, it's so uh, amazing for ABBA because their music <laughs> yeah. is so belty and yeah. so melodic yeah. and so soaring you know, yeah. and they really the score of Chess is so soaring I mean some of it is almost, has a classical bent to it, those sure. big mm-hmm. duets that are so like string heavy you know
0: I can't imagine the time when i won't care but, but here we are What's a good, um, besides Nobody's Side, what's another good Judy track? Oh, Someone Else's
1: Story. I mean, that Mm, is the definitive, maybe even more than any other song she's ever done. Song and it was she originated it because it wasn't in the original version, so mm. Elaine Paige hadn't sung it, um, and uh, and Judy's version remains the gold standard. I mean, don't talk to me about you know Sutton or Adina or and I won't freaking <laughs> you know whoever. Um, and it's exactly the reasons we're talking though because it's so uh, effortless and healthy and beautiful mm. and natural and simple and heartfelt. And then like when you see it coming, she's just like it just explosive, yes, you know. Um,
0: I think you tweeted something after we saw her in P-town. I I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was to the effect of like seeing Judy Kuhn. I'm reminded what good singing is. You know, so true. I mean, I I'll, I feel like I. Honestly,
1: I mean, you know, people often compare me to Patty LaPone. I mean, un- <laughs> unfavorably, but they say that they hear like the Patty LaPone influence in yeah, my like attempts to sing, you uh-huh. know. But I, uh, and I know that's true. And a little Bernadette, like, but like, like Patty is like the devil on my shoulder, and mm-hmm. Bernadette is more like how I cope with my limitations, <laughs> but um which are many. Um, but uh but Judy is the angel on my shoulder. Like For I sure. feel like. The way Judy's vowels are, Mm. like, they're just such, like, a roadmap of, like, a way to sing that's, like, in harmony with,
0: like, nature and, like, art. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, like, what's that thing, like, synesthesia when you, like, hear color and you Mm. see stuff? It's, like, when I hear Judy sing, it's almost, like, I, I picture her voice as, like, a solid... Object like, moving through time and space and, like, infiltrating my soul. You know, it's like, um... Like, when Barbara says, oh, it's like butter." It's like that, but it's completely... Like, we don't have a language for it. It's like mm-hmm. I'm... Like, when you're talking about, like, meditation or doing yoga, it's like you connect with, like, another realm. And, like, that's what Judy's voice does. Right? I get that. There's
1: something about her breath. It's so expansive. Mm-hmm. And I think it's... Maybe what I was trying to say about, like, in terms of the, quote-unquote, like, healthiness about her voice mm-hmm. is that, like... It's not only that it's expansive breath, but it's expansive breath that just continues. continues There's yes. something oceanic about mm, Judy's oceanic, you know, yes. breathing and and in and, and a song. And um, uh, how are you, do you? You're like a big Laura Nero queen, right? Yes, for sure. So, I mean, is that like a big deal for you, like the Judy and Laura Nero album and everything? Yeah, I love that album. I listen to it all the time. Um, it's so funny cause I'm such a, like a musical theater nerd that mm-hmm. I knew the Judy versions of those songs before yeah, right. I knew the Laura and the Nero ones. Yeah. And the Barbara ones. Yeah. the ones. But like, so I remember always thinking that, oh, like I'm so happy that Judy, um, made transposed these all up mm-hmm. so she could show off her soprano <laughs> voice cause I was, I, she sings more belter roles now mm-hmm, cause mm-hmm. just that's what's like in vogue in musical theater. Sure. And then when I actually listened to Laura Nero, I was like, oh, Laura Nero, bitch, had a head voice. She like had a head voice. I did not expect her to be so, like, creamy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Not quite as pleasant as Judy's, and, but she used that um, to great effect, you know, whether it was on certain tracks like Tomcat Goodbye, where she really screeches, or, you know, Wedding Bell Blues, one of her most fam- oh, famous songs. I love that song songs, so much. Which, um, oh, God, it's just like ear candy, you know? It's like... Dun, 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 dun. thing I love about Judy is that she's so smart and so, um... Cool? Cool, yeah. Cool.
1: I mean, the other thing, though, is like, I always like, Judy became, like, a Broadway fixture so immediately. I mean, she went from her debut in Mystery of Edwin Drood, the next season she did Rags and um, Les Mis in the same season. That's Mm -hmm. the famous story about her performing both those things at the Tony Awards that Mm, night. Right, yes. And, um, but so that was right away. So she didn't, um... Have those years and years of doing days and like days. days and days, you know. So her summer stock career was extremely short lived. Yeah. That said, I do know that she played uh, Eliza in My Fair Lady sure. and Julie in um, Carousel. Oh, wonderful! And Maria in West Side Story, and I believe all like one season of Summer Stock. And I, I'll, I mean, there is an amazing video on YouTube from like a, like in performance at the White House from the eighties mm-hmm. of Judy. And Larry Kurt, the original Tony in West Side Story, singing Tonight. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, oh, I have as to see that. beautiful as you would imagine. I have to see that. Um, but I always wish that, like, we'd gotten to, like, you know, to see her do that. I mean, we did get She Loves Me, you know, which is mm-hmm. major. But um, I wouldn't have minded, like, Judy Kuhn doing a few more of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, um uh, but we did get to have her in Passion. She's done now several productions. Oh, yeah. And those songs are beautiful for her as well. Totally. Although it's funny. I mean, I always would have thought, you know, I have very specific feelings about that one role in Passion because it mm-hmm. was a Maren Maisie part of Clara. Mm-hmm. And like Maren's voice is so specific. And there's not many people I would want to hear sing the Maren Maisie track because mm-hmm. it it's that rich, mixy, like mezzo-y, almost, mm-hmm, almost mm-hmm. belty, but not belty, sort of Barbara Cookie, mm-hmm. Audra McDonald, uh, and Judy Kuhn is on a short list of who I would have ever wanted to hear sing Maren's part in Passion. Mm-hmm. Then when she did it, instead she was Fosca. Mm-hmm. But of course, I mean she sings Fosca, you know, maybe better than it's ever been I mean, sung. Loving and you
0: is is divine. Yeah.
1: I mean, and I wish I could forget you. I mean, just when she goes into those, you know, like, now I'm seeing love. Yeah. Minus my darling. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but it just like opens up. Yes. And um into that like the darker, more chocolatey mm, kind of, chocolatey, you know, yes.
3: I know that I've upset you. I know I've been on un- I wanted you to vanish from sight but now I see you in a different light and though I cannot love you I wish that I could love you for now I'm seeing love like none
1: but what she proved in that show was the acting. I mean, that, oh, like, you know, know, she's yeah. not just an ingenue. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, um... But anyway, I'm just so obsessed with her and all her albums. I mean, and the, the Richard Rogers stuff. And Mary Gettle. Mar- <laughs> 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 Mary Rogers, Adam Gettle, yeah. you know. I love it. Well, I can't wait to talk to her. I know. I'm, what do you think going to be, like, in front of the audience?
0: Um... I think it'll be great. I think... um, Like, we've never done that. I'm interested to see what age group this audience is, because I feel like our target market is really, like... Old. (laughs) Men and women over the age of 60. (laughs) But, you know, I feel like Broadway Con is such young kids. Um, But maybe not. You know, I just hope they get our references. I mean, the good news is it's short. (laughs) The good news is it's it's, um, 30 minutes, and everyone knows Judy Kuhn. Everyone loves Fun Home. Everyone's seen... Um, I mean, if anything, everyone knows Pocahontas, the famous, you know, Disney film that she voiced, the singing voice just for. Just around the river bend, just around the river,
2: I once more.
0: Is that a mix? No. That's head voice. You? Yeah. Um, just around the river bend, beyond the shore. That's head voice, for sure. That's head voice. Oh, I sh- I could be, um, what's it called, a... A male soprano. A strati. A countertenor. <laughs> <Counter-genre>. Yeah. <gasps> If um, you cross your legs any tighter, you might be honey. Sure. All right, then, so I have some Dolly Concert Kills. DCK! Have, uh, DCK submitted from our listeners. Okay, our next submission is from other friend of the pod, Jason Wise. Mm. And his three are Shirley Temple, Florence Henderson. Classic. And again, Diana Ross.
1: Shirley, Flo, and Diana. Um, I would see Flo
0: as Dolly, I would see Diana in concert, and I would kill Shirley Temple. I think I would see Diana as Dolly, I would see Florence Henderson in, like, A Night With. I have. And... (laughs) I'd rather see her as Dolly. (laughs) And I, of course, would kill Shirley. Sorry, Cheryl. Okay, so, next from Sam Durbin... Dolly Concert Kill. This is, um, last time he did 80s Divas. This time is 90s Divas. Okay. So we have Celine Dion, Vanessa Williams, and Paula Abdul. Celine, Vanessa, and Paula. Okay.
1: Um, wow. So, I mean, my first instinct is to put Vanessa in Dolly because I know she can act. hmm And I just honestly don't know that about Celine and Paula. Mm-hmm. However, I'm attracted to having Paula and Dolly just because she's such a hot mess. I think it'd be fun. Mm. But still, I think I would put Vanessa and Dolly, see Celine in concert, and kill Paula.
0: Okay. I would definitely have to see Selena's Dolly just because her crazy line readings. And then <laughs> uh, she'd be like, uh, uh, it's a little lumpy, but it rings. <laughs> With the gestures. Um, And then I would see Paula in concert because she is, you know, just so energetic. And then I'd have, sorry Vanessa, I'd have to kill you. How rude. Okay, and our last submission for the week. Oh God. Is from friend of the pod, Matt Gardner. (laughs) Classic. And his (laughs) are, this is so Matt, David Byrne, Tom York of Radiohead, Mm -hmm. and Daniel Nolan. Oh. (laughs) You better be careful. Um, I would
1: definitely, of those people, see Daniel Nolan as Dolly. Thank you. David Byrne in concert.
0: And kill Tom York. I would see myself as Dolly as well. And, and do every day <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> I'm sure you do. And I would see Tom York in concert because seeing Radiohead live at Lollapalooza a couple years ago was magnificent. And I would kill David Byrne. Fun. Fun
2: hey everybody welcome to Broadway con 2020 we um so you know we 're we're nearing the end of the uh, uh, con at the con end of the con is that what you say end of the con sure, end of the con is that what would you say end of the con? End of the con. We're, we're ending the con. This. Oh, my God. That's pretty good, right? End of the con. Um, so I don't know these guys from freaking Adam, but I absolutely adore them. Um, that's very kind. Thank you. No, no. You have no idea. Somewhere, sperm crossed, and we're like, you know, from the same place. Um, go ahead and read it as much as you want to. Um, Madeline Con. I mean, give me a break. Look at these shirts. So, I mean, come on. Look at this. Show it off. Show it off. Absolutely. Broadway Con. Come on. No. Come on. That's amazing. I'm going to run after them and throw confetti because of this. So um, Broadway World, this is the shared site, if I'm correct about that, right? First produced. And the, <laughs> the name of it is just so fabulous. Uh, uh, ben Rimlowers, of course, Broken Records, the albums you wouldn't shut up about. Oh my God, it's just the attitude inherent in that is just gorgeous. <laughs> it could be all about my mother. Oh, you know, because we know from
1: personal, we are the people that wouldn't shut up and continue totally. to not shut up. Yes. As yeah. I think many of the fans here today at Broadway Con would also be.
2: Yeah, we came out of our mother like, oh, nice room. And we kept talking and talking and talking, singing. And singing. (laughs) Um, They're going to introduce their guest, who is an absolutely extraordinary individual, who I was astounded by during a show that I saw. And I could go on and on, but I won't, because I'll let them go ahead and set the stage for this truly magnificent individual that we were all so fortunate to be graced with. Um, Really astounding. So go ahead, gentlemen. Thank you. Well, I'm Ben Rimmelauer
1: of the podcast name, and here's my co-host, Daniel Nolan. Hey, (laughs) y'all. And, um... We are uh, Our podcast, we talk to guests about the album they wouldn't shut up about, and in this case today we're going to be talking about the uh, seminal Joni Mitchell album, Blue, from 1971. (laughs) And, um, of course, for that, uh, discussing that voice of a generation, we're going to be talking with a voice of another generation, which, talking about Broadway-obsessed fans not shutting up and not stopping singing, I mean, part of the problem in my house was always that I, you know, I wanted to sing like this person, and of course, no one does, because it's truly a singular voice, and uh, she's a singular artist as an actress as well, and has been uh, an inspiration to us for so many years, totally. and so many shows, and uh, of course, she's got four Tony nominations, and she is Broadway royalty, and we're so honored to have her here today. Please welcome to the stage, Judy Kuhn. Yes!
3: Thank you. Thank Judy. you. What, wow, what nice introductions. I am, yes, thank you.
1: How is it that <laughs> I was a little kid and I would look at pictures of you on cast albums and you look exactly the same now and I'm a totally. little man with a gray beard?
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, you're very kind and... Uh, I, I can't, I, I look at pictures of myself from when you were probably looking at those pictures and I think, oh my God, I look so young and how did I get so old? Well,
1: well we, we all get old, whether, whether like Judy, we don't show it or not. And the other thing that doesn't show it is your voice. I mean, it's just, you know, it's Thank so exciting to hear. It was always exciting because it was a, a is a beautiful, operatically trained soprano voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's rare in itself in Broadway, especially in the 80s, you know, except for Cosette in Les Mis. Hello, original Broadway cast right here. Hello. And, you know, Christine in Phantom, uh, not as much the Vogue, but also the number one thrilling belt voice of Broadway in the 80s. I mean, Chess is not like a crossover sort of belter. It's a, I mean, it was Elaine Page's big thing. And, and you are the definitive Florence in Chess.
3: Uh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, no, I was classically trained, and I can remember the first time when I got out of college and I thought, oh, I'm going a- Oberlin Conservatory o- of Music, Oberlin which is for classical of operatic singing, yes. right? Well, Not I, Broadway bell Yes, thing. but I knew I wasn't going to be a classical singer. I mean, I thought if I'm going to be a performer, I'm going to do theater, because yeah. that's what I loved. Mm-hmm. And But I was very grateful for the training that I got there. Um, but I remember doing um, summer stock before I moved to New York, and this wonderful music director looking at me, we were, he was teaching me something in the basement of the house that we were all staying in, and he looked at me and said, do you think you could belt that note? And I said, well, what do you mean? <laughs> and I, didn't, I had no idea what he meant. Literally, and he I can't even remember what language he used to explain to me what he (laughs) meant, but I sort of tried it, and he went, yes, that's it, and I was like, oh, that's a voice that I've never heard come out of me, and it was sort of an interesting... And then I... Eventually, when I came to New York and did a lot of different things, I found a teacher who really helped me to understand that I didn't have two voices. Because then I thought, oh, I have two voices. I have my soprano voice and I have my belt voice. And he really helped me understand, no, I have one voice and I can choose what colors the music mm-hmm. demands. Colors and, of the wind. A great yeah. description. Um, <laughs> and
1: we, uh, speaking of your glorious belt, but one thing Daniel and I were talking about the other day about your voice is how in the even in the strongest, most just... You know balls to the wall belt resonances of it. it always sounds so healthy, so supported, mm-hmm. like like you're just opening the dam and letting something flow oceanic is right, right. the word that we used. oceanic you know
3: oceanic
1: yeah it's, yeah it's
3: well that's a new one on me
1: <laughs> well, you know speaking of um you know uh when I, I guess it was your second tony nomination uh. Uh, for chess in 1988, someone who was a leading lady on Broadway that season who was not nominated for a Tony. I'm thinking about, in comparison, Bernadette Peters, who, you know, we, you, you can see the, the gears shifting, and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's part of what makes it dramatic sometimes, you know, but I think of it as the polar opposite with you, where it's just like, it feels yeah. like your body is in harmony, you know, okay. and how it's Letting so... Letting it happen. Did you... Was that harder to achieve compared to classical singing that's all breath and everything? But,
3: well, no, but because I I mean that's the thing that I think my training has taught me is that it is all the same mm-hmm. and you should anything that feels like you're muscling is actually not healthy and yeah. you shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. And you have to find the way to healthy singing and yeah. what whatever it is that you're doing, you have to understand it all needs to be supported with breath, and it all needs to be attached to language, and it all, you know, it should never feel or look effortful. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well. And that's just training. That, that's just everybody craft should write that down in and, big letters ho- in their uh, book. That-
3: <laughs> <laughs> For the last
1: time, I am not on Ozempic. I made one little joke on this podcast, and everybody started calling me out, texting me, calling me cringe, Whatever, I really was asked by people if I was on Ozempic and as I told them, I am not. I am just eating factors, no prep, no mess meals, okay? Warmer, sunnier days are coming. Fire Island season is here. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors, fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian-approved meals and ingredients you can trust. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. And kitchen time is kept to a minimum. They are ready in two minutes. No shopping, no prepping, no cooking, no cleanup. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or just simply to eat well balanced. Head to Factormeals.com slash GiantsInTheSky50 and use code GiantsInTheSky50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code GiantsInTheSky50 at Factormeals.com slash GiantsInTheSky50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
3: So and I think that's one reason why voices stayed healthy, because I, mm. I have really tried not to sing in a way that, you know, if, if it feels really hard and, like, I'm pushing and muscling, then it's not healthy and I, I should stop Wait, can you th-
1: is there an example maybe of a time when you were like, oh, this could be bad, I need to rethink how I'm approaching this song or um, this section well, it, or whatever?
3: If, it's, if it feels that way, I go running up to my voice teacher mm. and say, help. Mm-hmm. Is it that same person? That uh-huh. you, and yeah, what, yeah, what's yeah. their name? His name's Bruce Kolb.
1: Bruce Do you still regularly
0: take lessons and vocalize and warm up and stuff I like that? I don't, or it all but I should. <laughs> it seems like you I don't you're even doing know if fine. you should. Yeah.
3: Now, so just well, yeah, I, I I should, but I I get that you know when. I don't need to be singing all the time, then I tend to get a little late.
1: She's got to take the uh, compost down to the farmer's market on Saturday. <laughs> <She> <laughs> There's doesn't have a lot time for of
3: voices. stuff to do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Judy's a wonderful citizen as well. Yes. I tried to be. Now, so okay, when, before you were this um,
1: Oberlin graduate who somehow didn't even know what the word belting <laughs> meant, obviously, I mean, we can understand that thinking of Joni Mitchell as an influence on you because she's, I guess... Not so rare for the singer-songwriter or Laurel Canyon era, but as a you know, popular singer, it's weird what more of a soprano-type voice she has. I mean, you'd think right. of pop singers as being all belters.
3: Well, I, you know, you, you said in, in your intro about listening and wanting to sound like that person. Joni Mitchell was the person that I wanted to sound like. Yeah. Mm. And uh, that's when I was a teenager and I listened to her obsessively. Um, I tried to imitate her, and that's how I found this head voice that mm. ultimately became mm. a, a more trained soprano voice, um, because I just wanted to sing those songs. Yeah. I just, and in order to do it, I had to sound like her. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Now, I mean, I have looked you up. I know you were pretty young when Blue came out and so we I mean, won't talk
3: about exactly but <laughs> well. How, you were certainly young well for the easy. uh
1: the darkness of, of the themes of those songs. You know, it's
3: so interesting that you say that because I inspired by this um meeting, yeah. I listened to the whole I just sat down and listened to the whole album from beginning to end yesterday. Something you know who does that anymore it you know right, it's, all tracks it's like and you listen to you have playlists and and but of course in those days which was the heyday of the singer songwriter mm-hmm. you know Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan and carol King and you know J- uh, Laura Nera all mm-hmm. those amazing artists who were poets who wrote songs yeah um you—that's what you would do. You'd sit down. You'd listen to the whole thing, and you'd think about the tunes, and you'd think about what they were saying. And and I li- so I did that yesterday, and I thought, wow. I, you know, I, I, listening to it now at this point in my life, I hear and see things in it that, of course, I couldn't get when mm-hmm. I was a teenager. However mm-hmm. old I was, um, and. Uh, And yet, I realized instinctually, even though I didn't really understand it all, I understood in this kind of primitive way all the darkness and the yearnings Mm -hmm. and the the kind of wildness of the things she was talking about. I mean, Joni Mitchell wrote a lot about being wild Mm -hmm. and the consequences Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. that. Mm You know, I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but Little Green is about this child that she gave up for adoption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that then, but you listen to it now and you go, wow. And, you know, lyrics like, you know, I don't know, he loved me so naughty made me weak in the knees. Sure, yeah. You kind of know as a teenager, ooh, that's something that sounds exciting. Don't really know what it means, but, you know, it's... Yeah. A, There's something kind of thrilling about that Mm -hmm. when you're young. The
0: honesty of it.
3: Yes, so so honest, and there's something really raw about Mm -hmm. it.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: And um, and her singing is so beautiful. Everything about. I mean, it is one of those recordings that, and I was uh, kind of blown away by this listening to it yesterday. It's like there isn't a single song on this recording that you would go, oh, I want to skip. Like, that right. you yeah. just routinely skip, like, don't like that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Every single one is a masterpiece yeah, of, mm-hmm. you know, musicianship, storytelling, everything. It's really perfect. There isn't a lyric you go, ah, that's not such and a... And it
0: true. takes you on the whole journey throughout totally, the whole album. Totally,
3: totally. I mean, it really is just... And, and that's why I think, you know, <laughs> when you said what album... Do you, are you going to choose? I was like, that was the first thing that popped into my head because I just thought it's so brilliant, and it was so it was had such meaning for me that I didn't even know, mm. I really mm-hmm. d- didn't even mm-hmm. understand when I was that age, both as a just a human and as a you know someone who dreamed about being a performer and. Mm-hmm.
1: So was that, was that what you were thinking when you were, when you were listening to that record? That, you know, I want to be a Broadway singer or I want to write songs like Joni? Or what was your, you know, dream You know, of?
3: I never thought about writing songs. People have asked me that all the time, whether I write songs. I now actually have a child who writes songs. She's 25, and she that's what she wants to do is be a singer-songwriter. And I'm very... I'm always... In awe of people who write things. My husband is a, a writer too, so. But I've never. It's never been my interest. Maybe I should try it, but it just isn't what draws me. I. I feel like I'm an interpreter.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, that's that's an important thing, and you know, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure if you wrote a song, it would probably be exquisite. But like, we went to see a. I don't know about A that. performer mm-hmm. the other night who's a wonderful singer-songwriter, and he did uh, a lot of covers. And his voice is amazing, but there is a specific thing that's the skill of interpreting Mm -hmm. a song, and it doesn't work the same when it's not his own stuff, you know? And I don't think people necessarily give enough credence to what that is. Right,
3: Mm -hmm. no, it's true. I mean, it is a whole other kind of craft.
1: And is that what you always wanted to do?
3: Yeah, I mean, I've always... I've always been a tr- been interested in storytelling, whether mm-hmm. it's through a song or through a piece of theater or whatever it is. I, I just, I love having stories told to me mm-hmm. and I feel like it's a gift to be able to participate in storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think it's why I've always been, um, I, it's, it's funny because I, I never thought about being on Broadway when I was a kid. I, mm-hmm. I didn't, Think about. I thought. I just thought of when I decided, okay, I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to see if I can have a life in the theater. I didn't think about Broadway or off Broadway or even musicals or non-musicals. I just thought about. I want to be a you know part of that world that tells stories in that way, mm-hmm. and and I feel the same way about um, singing. Just you know singing songs. And when I was a you know, young soprano at Oberlin, the Oberlin Conservatory <laughs> singing Schubert or whatever it was. I That is what I didn't think about what sound I wanted to make. I thought about what is the text. I would spend hours in the library translating text, thinking about what the poet meant, why did the composer set that poetry in that way, what did that make, then how did that transform it, and how can then, through me and my performing, communicate that, mm-hmm. and that was what always interested me.
1: Was that something that, you know, it goes against what my uh, assumption would be about a classical training conservatory. Did they in- encourage you to do that, or was that just a Judy Kuhn, like, you know,
3: Well, journey? I wound up studying... I, uh, I had a kind of crazy journey at Oberlin because when I went, I was in the college, not in the conservatory, and I switched in my sophomore year. And then I had a teacher I wasn't so happy with. And I I don't know where... I was such a shy and frightened young person. (laughs) And I went and I somehow got the courage to go knock on the door of the kind of... the teacher that everyone wanted to study with. His name was Richard Miller. He's one of the great voice teachers of all time, I think, and um, I knocked on his door and I said, I want to study with you. And eventually, we went through this process and he took me into his studio. And I knew I wasn't the best voice in his studio. I mean, there were people who had these huge operatic voices and I never had that. But he liked me, I think, because of my interest in language, Mm -hmm. because he always taught about the connection with language. And I can remember one time we were working on something, and he stopped, and he looked at me, and he kind of smiled, and he said, you hear a lot of great voices in this conservatory, don't you? And I said, oh, yeah. He said, but you don't hear a lot of music. And I thought, oh. I think that he means I'm making music right now. (laughs) He didn't come out and say that, but I felt like that was what he was saying. And I thought, wow, that is true. That's what, you know, I don't know. That's to me what it's about.
1: Totally. I mean, I think about that sometimes, and I think maybe Broadway doesn't encourage that enough. I mean, or, you know, or just... Out of necessity, that's not the focus, but it is striking when you hear someone who is a musician as a singer, and there is kind of a difference in what the what the art, bless you, can uh, can do with that. Um, but uh, but I'm curious when you talk about wanting to have come to New York, before you got to Oberlin, and you, you, know, you grew up in Maryland, is that right? I grew
3: up in a, a Washington, D.C. suburb, uh, Ah, yeah. okay. And um,
1: And did you come into the city sometimes? What was your understanding of New York?
3: Well, uh, my parents were both born and raised in New York, and mm. my grandparents lived in New York, so we, we came to New York a lot. Yeah. And then when I was, I had, how old was I, 10, 11, 12, something? Anyway, we we lived in New York for a year because my father had a job up here. And um, that was the first time they took me to Broadway shows. What did you see? I saw, let's see, what did we see? We saw Fiddler on the Roof. Mm -hmm. We saw Man of La Mancha. We saw You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. (laughs) Um, Those are the ones I remember.
1: Yeah. And and you wound up recently had a wonderful run of Fiddler on the Roof in London, in London. and yeah, you did yeah, it yeah. on Broadway yes. as well. Wonderful, gold It's up so funny. This revival. Jewish
3: soprano took me until <laughs> yeah, like yeah. just the last few years to ever do a production Is of Fiddler true? on the Roof. I never played any of those daughters. I can't believe I, know. I was literally
1: thinking of asking <laughs> you which daughter in Fiddler did you play.
3: I know it's like I, I, somehow it managed to miss me every time. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and now you've been a two-time golda.
3: And now I've been a two-time golda. Is
1: yeah. that different doing <laughs> Fiddler uh, I mean I know this show is such an international, you know, landmark I on its, its own. I think it's one terms. of the most
3: produced shows mm-hmm, anywhere mm-hmm. in the world. I mean it's done everywhere. It's so right. good. It's so
1: Apparently good. Apparently
3: it's the most popular show in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Well,
1: that, I mean, tr- but it makes tra- tradition and everything. It's yeah. a show about mm-hmm.
3: traditions mm-hmm. and, you know, cultural traditions and family and just very... So, oh, I think Sheldon Harnick maybe told a story of going over there maybe when they did the first production in Japan and somebody said to him, a Japanese person said to him, do people understand this show in America? (laughs) (laughs) I love it.
1: Well, uh, okay, so you didn't do Fiddler, which I'm just so, just shocked to learn. Um, But I I remember reading that you had done One Summer of Summerstock, where you were Maria in West Side Story, Julie Jordan in Carousel, and Eliza in My Fair Lady all in one.
3: No, I wasn't Eliza in My
1: Fair Lady. Oh, no, what was the third one?
3: Oh, my God, I can't even believe it. Where did you find that I mean, information? I, I,
1: I've, I've been walking around with that factoid for over twenty years. I want you to know right. it was probably like I in did two summers week or of
3: Summerstock at two different places, and I, I get them mixed up and I can't remember which was which. I did I, yes, I did uh, Julie Jordan. I did Maria. I did Tup Tim. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah different times um and i did what else did i do i played emma goldman in tin types okay that was the song jonah man that was the song that the music director looked at me and said could you oh. belt that and then when i came to new york and they you know, when I, you know, went around on the open calls, and they wanted an up tempo and a ballad. I sang Jonah Man as my kind of belty song.
1: And that's how you got Mystery of yeah. Edwin Drood.
3: It might have been.
1: I mean, that's <laughs> the other, the other like crazy, like soprano belter dichotomy of Judy Kuhn, or one of the others was that in Drood, you were not only Patty Kohenauer's understudy, you were Betty Buckley's understudy. Yes. I mean.
3: Yes, and when, <laughs> you know. Um, Betty is much taller than me, and so when I went on for her and i i 'm 'm a small person, and yeah. I put on that suit and the the boy 's wig, I looked at- twelve at- and, <laughs> um, I did not look like a young man <laughs> at all, and apparently I learned this later that. Uh, our dear departed George Rose used to say when I went on for Betty, "Oh, there's the bar mitzvah boy." <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. It was
3: cool. Well, it was around the time of
1: Yentel, so you know, yeah, exactly. it would have it would have worked as well. Um, so that that was your debut.
3: That was my Broadway debut. Yes,
1: and um, you were going to open calls, but not for very long because you finished school in the early '80s. So,
3: Um, God, you're, I'm, I'm just too old to remember the time. Well, here's a better way to question it. Yes, I did. uh, That that uh, that was maybe the last open call I went to, and I did. It was an open call. I went through several auditions mm-hmm. and um, finally wound up in front of you know, Wilfred Leach and Joe Papp wow. and this whole like, whoa, all these people. And I, I guess I, I did have my equity card at that point, but maybe, oh no, no, I had had it maybe for a year because I'd gone on a national tour. Well, what
1: national tour did you do?
3: The King and I.
1: <laughs> wow, oh, with, with Yul Brynner? Yeah. <gasps> Oh my God. Oh.
0: Wait, so was the chocolate? Uh. This is like the bitter end. <laughs> Wait, so can you tell us was the chocolate dressing room, chocolate covered dressing room, a true story? You'll Absolutely
3: hear? true. Wow. Oh my God. There was a truck that went ahead that had all his dressing room, accoutrement furniture, everything. They had a crew that went ahead to the city ahead, painted the room. Chocolate Knocked ground. down walls if he if he wanted that, you know, like did the whole thing, and then there was a truck that went ahead and furnished it so that when he arrived it was ready. <clears throat> the king's quarters were complete.
1: Fabulous. Wow. <laughs> um, so okay, what was that like for you? Because you're now still very young and you're in this like real like show business, like, I mean, on the road. It's not the first revival of The King and I. It's not even the third. Or I mean, you know, it's, there's a lot of like reality in that, and it's the opposite of maybe in some ways Joni Mitchell, right? So what were yeah. those things like in True. your, you know, did, did... although oh
3: oh God, i oh my God, no, yeah, the King and I. It was like this little village, and I, I no one paid attention to me. And Mary Beth Peel, who oh, I adore, was love Mrs. Her. Anna, and. We became friends, and she kind of got that I had something going on. I, cause I was in the ensemble, mm. and I was the tap tim understudy. <laughs> There's another story about how I got this job that relates to the Summerstock tap tim. Oh, okay. But um, anyway, and I was just, a, a, I was a replacement for five months on the road, mm. and um, I never went on. I, had to, I did one put-in rehearsal because the woman playing Tup Tim, was it feeling well or something? And so they gave her the afternoon off, so I did that. But nobody paid any attention to me and then we did a like a cabaret like thing it was i was about to leave the show and there was some i don't know someone organized like a talent night in some club in the city we were in and people got up and sang and i got up and sang a joni mitchell song oh, probably yeah. from the blue album i can't remember which one it was and mary beth told me later on that Ewell Brenner, who she had been sitting with that night, turned to her and went, now that's a tub, Tim." <laughs> and she said, yeah, like that's what I've been telling you. No, you haven't paid any attention to her, now she's leaving.
0: <laughs> wow. What a compliment.
1: Well, so I'm curious then, because I, I, I you, you started that maybe parallel kind of cabaret wing as far as my awareness of it with like, um, the incredible uh, Julie Stein album that you recorded in the 90s. But you'd been on Broadway for, what, 10 years-ish at that point. Had you, been, had you done Cabaret? I, I was, that's why I was wondering about Joni Mitchell. Was that something that you started to itch to move a little closer into that?
3: No, I never... I, I was, as I said, I was a scared person. Yeah. Then, and I didn't like the idea of standing up in front of an audience and just being me. Yeah. So, no, and I never performed that Julie Stein album. Some, the, the producer of that asked me to do a solo album. No one had ever asked me, or it never occurred to me that, to do a solo album. And I think it might have even been his idea to do Julie Stein. And I was out in, su- in um, Los Angeles doing Sunset Boulevard right. at that time, so I recorded it out there. And um, it was thrilling to, to make it, and... Um, it was just really fun. But it never occurred to me to get up on stage and perform the songs. And then much later, people ha- were saying to me for a long time, you've got to do a solo show. And I was like, ah. <laughs> and then um, it was right when the Lincoln Center um, American Songbook Series was just starting. Yeah. And then they decided, you know, it used to be kind of songbook concerts with a, a little orchestra and a whole group of people. And I think I had done one of those. And then they started doing solo evenings in Mm. the Kaplan penthouse before the Jazz at Lincoln Center was built. And they asked me if I would do a solo show. And I remember my manager at the time said, you have to say yes, because you will never do this if you don't have a time and a place that you Mm -hmm. have to show up and do it. So true. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I said, okay. And then all of a sudden I had to do it.
1: And that was the and Laura Nero show.
3: No, 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 that was later, because that I did at the Jazz at Lincoln Center. Oh, okay. Day. But no, and I did this thing, which actually, God, we really, I, there's a theme. That particular show, which I didn't record, but I wound up doing a lot. Oh, I'm
1: going to find a recording now that it, I know it happened. <laughs> <laughs> it
3: opened and closed with a Joni Mitchell song. Oh, and what oh, were they? which one? The first song was All I Want, mm-hmm. and the last one was, um, what was it? I can't remember. All I to oh no 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 two, it didn't right? close yeah. with a, a with a Joni Mitchell song. There was another one in the middle. Uh um Let the wind carry me.
1: Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and was the and whole that, show in that vibe? No,
3: it was all over the place. I mean it was there was Joni Mitchell and there was some uh Tom Waits in there mm-hmm. and there was yeah, another one of my songwriting heroes. Um but there was also Rodgers and Hart and Adam Gettle, I mean, there, was all, there were yeah. all different writers. It really was, I was, um, a friend of mine who was sort of helping me at the time said, just write, make a list of songs you want to sing. Mm. And I just started making lists and lists and lists, and I started seeing like a theme that was sort of about a, a per, very personal journey for me of kind of coming into my own and mm. having a child and... Thinking about what was, I don't know, it just felt like, and I can remember at the time my, I was trying to explain to my husband, my writer husband, like I wanted to have an emotional journey and he didn't really understand what I meant and I remember Stephen Holden when, that back in the day when the Times actually reviewed those things, which yeah. they don't anymore yeah. really, um, he said that it felt like a song cycle of mm. a personal journey. And I was like, oh,
0: yeah! Yes. That was,
3: <laughs> so I felt like my intention was... It, I succeeded at mm. that. So.
1: And so then, it was after that... Well, did, did you do Eli's Coming before you did the American Songbook Laura Nero yes. concert?
3: Yeah, I did Eli's Coming at the Vineyard Theater. And and in a way, even though I listened to Laura Nero when I was a kid, it was a no, it was... I, it was my awakening to her genius, mm-hmm. which I don't think I had fully appreciated. Um, it's so deep, her, right, it's hard, I think, for a teenager to understand, sure, even yeah. though she was a teenager when she wrote, I mean, she wrote, and when I die, when she was 16 years old. I mean, who's thinking about that when they're 16 years old, yeah. you know? Anyway, um, and then it was actually um, John Nakagawa, at, who was then running the Songbook series, who a couple years later came to me and said, "We'd love to have you back, and we'd love for you to do an evening of Laura Nero." It was there. Oh wow! And I was like, oh, okay. Well, you've so. go-
1: gone where the work was, Judy.
3: I, like, that's me, yeah. In the flow, in the <laughs>
1: um, well, that's the the album that you wound up recording is such an incredible collection. Yeah, and oh, I love it. Oh,
3: thank you. And it's
1: so funny because I remember I didn't really know Laura Nero very well, and I remember thinking, uh, "I this, these songs sound so great in Judy's like soprano. I'm sure they must be so different in the originals." And then I was <laughs> like, "Oh no, Laura had some head voice going yeah, on Yeah, she too. did.
3: She had a crazy voice, and. Yeah. I mean, for some people, uh, I think maybe some people didn't listen to her songs a lot because they couldn't handle her singing. Mm -hmm. But I mean, people often say, I don't know who's Laura Nero. Like you know Laura, you, yes. you don't know that you know Laura right, Nero songs, right. but you do. And then you start. I need to read down to do a stone. So picnic. You go. Oh yeah, I know that song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You just don't know her singing it, but you know other people mm-hmm. singing well, it. Well, so. and of
1: course Stony End. Um, Stony so End. I have
3: So many people had hits with her songs.
1: Yeah. Was that? Were those besides people? Uh, Well, besides Joni, what were the other, um, like when you were growing up, the artists that you were really into?
3: (sighs) I mean, I'm guessing Um, it
1: wasn't Barbra Streisand.
3: No, it wasn't. Sorry. (laughs) That's fine with us. I was a a young hippie, you know, so... Mm -hmm. Uh, and I and as I say I love those singers songwriter poets you know Barbara sat on the back of that
1: pickup truck and she wore the jeans Uh, and (laughs) recorded all their songs It didn't win you over
3: (laughs) And, and she did record Laura Nero um I listened to uh, Neil Young, mm-hmm. um, Carol King, Bob Dylan, The Beatles, of mm-hmm. course, um, Crosby Stills Nash and Young, um, you know was there
1: Broadway stuff that you had connected with material wise or a performer either
3: you know, I didn't really listen to cast albums so much yeah i I mean some i more it was more just about loving going to the theater. Mm. I just loved... and Because to me, the theater was about a live thing, about, you know... Yeah. Not, not a recorded thing so much. Well, you know? we love you live and we love you recording. We're, we're <laughs> almost totally. out of
1: time, but we have a game that we play with all of our guests. Oh, which no. you're going to hate, Judy. I'm oh, sorry. No. <laughs> I'm apologizing in advance. Um, it's called Dolly Concert Kill. And... Um, so I don't if, even know if, what that means there's but, like a okay. game people always play called um, Mary Fuck Kill where they get like three people oh, and they right, choose. Right. so we're going to give you three performers and there's one that you'll see as Dolly Levi and Hello Dolly one that you'll see in concert and we will oh, dumb God. this down to make it a little more palatable for you we'll make it Dolly Concert Chill so right. one gets I, an yes. all-expenses paid vacation you don't have to kill anybody so, oh, so, so, wait. One me, you're gonna see in so, Dolly. Oh,
3: oh, someone. Oh, I want to see in Hello Dolly. Yeah. So
1: we'll give you three people, and you just sort them into the categories. Okay. Okay, so think? three
0: people. We should do Joni Mitchell Johnny for sure. Joni Mitchell for sure. Uh, Laura Nero. Yeah. And then... Mary Beth Peel. Mary Beth Peel. Love <laughs> 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 Wait, what?
3: wait, so, I'm sorry. I'm so confused by this. What? I don't those think, those think it's in your response
1: to like putting people in boxes I'm like thinking this.
3: about who do I want to see um, play Dolly Levi, and you're saying what? Right. Of these
0: So <laughs> one of those people you have to <laughs> see play Dolly. Yeah. One person oh. in concert.
3: Oh, I see. And then one uh, person... And I have to choose from those people. Yes, Joni so Mitchell, wait.
0: Laura Nero,
1: and okay. Mary Beth Peel. Uh,
3: I think maybe I'd like to see Laura Nero play Dolly. All right, oh, yeah. great. Um,
1: and then in an concert, concert uh, Mary Beth or, uh, I, or Joni. And you can and then choose what's the, the third era. one. Third one is the All Expenses Paid Vacation, <laughs> right?
3: To, to with them. Sure. Yeah. Are they with can, them or what? Judy, give you, them. you get Wait, to go with what them. What do you mean? Give them, and all expenses. Yes.
1: Oh.
3: Oh. <laughs> but we're okay. sending you to
1: Judy. You get to go with the person.
3: Well, you know, I saw Joni Mitchell in concert. So, but I've never seen Mary Beth in concert. I so there you go. Fantastic. There we go. And, yeah. and Joni on, vacation. Joni's going on a, trip. a vacation. Yes, she yes. does.
1: <laughs> uh, Judy, you deserve a vacation, but we hope you won't take it too long because we just want to see you do more shows, more concerts, more albums. We love you. Please help us thank Judy Kuhn for
3: joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you, Judy.
1: Thanks for listening to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World. For more episodes,
0: visit Broadway World, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts do be. <laughs> Our new season begins February 10th with Tony Award winner Lena Hall coming in to talk about Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. After Lena, we'll be chatting with
1: Drew Drogie, Alison Frazier, and Nathan Lee Graham. This episode was edited by me, Daniel Nolan. Thanks to Emmy-winning composer and lyricist Lance Horn for the Broken Records theme song. Follow us both, Ben Remmelauer and Daniel Nolan, on all y'all's socials. That's Ben Remmelauer. B-E-N-R-I-M-A-L-O-W-E-R.
0: And that's Nolan with an E, not Nolan with an A. Because Nolan with an A, isn't it?